I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. There's a well-known expression that says that knowledge is power. You've heard that said. We all know that that's not entirely true, however. Not, not all knowledge is power. You can be knowledgeable about many things. You could know all that there is to know, for example, about Canadian men's curling. That's not power. I know an awful lot about the Toronto Raptors. That's not power. Not all knowledge is power. In and of itself, knowledge is nothing. We know it's the object of your knowledge that is power. And what I want to impress upon you today, and I pray that God would impress upon you today, is this truth. Knowledge of the cross of Jesus Christ is power. It's freedom. It's joy. It's wonder. It's hope. Knowledge of the cross of Christ will change your life forever. And there are who don't yet see at the cross of Christ what it is that they are meant to see, what it is that God would have them see. And I'm so excited today to open up Romans chapter 3 where the Apostle Paul explains with perhaps the greatest clarity in all of Holy Scripture what it is that we are meant to see when we look to the cross. Commentator Leon Morris argues this is possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. And he's not alone. Martin Luther claimed that this section was the chief point, the very central place of the epistle and of the whole Bible. Martin Luther says this is it. On this most sacred day, we are considering a most sacred text. Here the Apostle Paul explains and exposes what it is that was accomplished at the cross of Christ. I want you to look with me now to Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. Hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, living, and active word to us today. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning we are looking again to the cross of Christ, and I'm asking the question, what is it that we are supposed to see? And the Apostle Paul in this passage, he's pulling us in, he's directing our eyes to the cross, and he's telling us exactly what it is that we are to see in the cross of Christ. And the first thing that he would have us see as I look to the cross, what should I see? The first thing I should see is I should see my sin. I should see my sin as I look to the cross. He begins this passage with the words, but now. 
which obviously means that what he's about to say is flowing out of what he has been saying. So we need to understand this morning, what, what has he been saying? And Paul has been talking about the law. And he's been talking about how the law exposes us. You see, there were people, and there still are people, who misunderstood And they thought the law was a tool that they could use to prove their own righteousness. And Paul is saying, no, you actually have it exactly wrong. The law is not a tool to prove that you are righteous. The law reveals the righteousness of God, and it shows how unrighteous you actually are. You Jews, you Gentiles, all of us. And that's what he picks up in in the end of verse 22. He says, for there's no distinction between any of us. And he's speaking of Jews and Gentiles. Today I would speak of of addicts and, and people who have heinous sins, people who have respectable sins. He says, all of us. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what Paul is saying. And it is so important that we understand that this morning. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. The person sitting next to you, the person sitting in front of you, the person sitting behind you is a sinner. In fact, there is not a single person in this room, in this city, in this world who could stand before our holy God by their own merit without being obliterated by His holiness. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no hope for any of us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Paul says. And I want to ask before we go any further, and now I want to speak to you who have been walking with the Lord for years and years, is it possible that you have forgotten how desperately you need a Savior? Perhaps you saw your dependence in those early days when you first came to Christ and your sin was fresh on your mind. You would just come off of a horrible week and an embarrassing, horrific weekend And you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and you wept and you mourned and you saw, I need a Savior because I am a sinner. But now the years have gone on and you've grown in your holiness and your righteousness, which is appropriate, as you should. And now you wake up early in the morning and you read your Bible and there's a sweetness there. And in your prayer life, you feel like you're communing with the Lord. You even even tell your neighbors about Jesus You've grown. But somewhere along the way, you've you've stopped marveling at the cross. You used to look to the cross, and you used to weep, and you used to just be blown away by the fact that that God would love a sinner like me, that that He would do this. And you find yourself these days looking to the cross and marveling that God would love sinners like these people around me that he would do this but you've lost sight of your sin and your need this morning before we go any further we must see that all of us every one of us today is in desperate need of a savior You can only think that you are righteous if you're you're looking away from the cross. If I'm looking at my friends and I'm looking at the world, and then I look in the mirror, then perhaps I might have, have a reason to boast. But when I look to the cross, when I see 
Jesus. My Jesus. Jesus who I love. The, the perfect Jesus. Hanging in my place. Then my soul cries out, Behold the man upon a cross. My sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear not her voice or his voice. I hear my mocking voice calling out among the scoffers. It was my sin that hung him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath brought me life. And I know that it is finished. This is why we had our elders put the nails into the cross today. As representatives of us, that it was for our sin that he hung on the cross. And Paul says, you must see that when you look to the cross. I must see that today. That's the first thing. The second thing I must see is I must see God's righteousness. The Greek root for righteousness is the word dikaios. And that's important because that word is actually found seven times in this passage. It's the same root that is used for the words just, justifier, justice, righteous. And seven times in these five verses, the Apostle Paul keeps planting this in, which suggests to me that we cannot really understand the cross unless we understand this theme of God's righteousness. Paul says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So remember, he's been talking about how the law was the tool that God used to show his righteousness and to show how we fall short. He's saying, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. When we look to the cross of Christ in faith, one of the things that we must see is God's holy righteousness. If we are not seeing His justice, His goodness, His fairness, His righteousness on full display, then we are not yet seeing what we need to see in the cross. And I would argue that this is an aspect that we are inclined to miss, or at least to downplay. I tend to overemphasize, and this is me, I tend to overemphasize what happened for me on the cross. I think a lot about me. I talk a lot about me. And when I look to the cross, I bring that impulse with me, and I see a lot of me when I think about the cross. I remember singing a song when I was a kid in church that said, like a rose trampled on the ground, he took the fall, and he thought of me above all. But is that true? Now, don't overhear me. He did think of me on the cross. He did. Absolutely, gloriously, yes. The Apostle Paul goes on to say in chapter 5, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So at the cross, I am supposed to see God's love. I am supposed to see that He thought of me Yes, but did he think of me above all? Let me frame it differently. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Was it only a display of God's love for me? Or was he displaying something more? 
Paul points to the cross and he declares, this was to show God's righteousness. And that is a piece that we do not emphasize the way that we should. The cross does say that you are loved. The cross does say that you are forgiven. The cross does say that you are a child of God. Yes, yes, and yes. Hallelujah and amen. Yes. But the cross equally and also is declaring something about Him. The cross declares that our God is righteous. That He is good. That He will not, that He cannot turn a blind eye to sin and injustice. I want you to think for a moment about what it was like before the cross. The scoffers and the mockers who hated the God of Israel. Before the cross, they had merit to say that the God of Israel was a God who was not just. The scoffers and the mockers could say, is your God kind? Perhaps. Perhaps He's kind, but He's not just. Don't you remember? Noah got off the ark and immediately he got drunk. What's your God going to do about that? Don't you remember David? You celebrate David, but David, his adultery, his murder of Uriah, and he's, he's celebrated in your scriptures. He's a child of God. And the scoffers and the mockers before the cross could point to the God of Israel and say, is he loving? Perhaps, but he's not fair. He's not righteous. He's not just. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, he did pass over former sins. But there was always a plan in place to deal with them. And at the cross, God wrote with all capital letters that he is righteous. He is just. And he is the justifier. There's not a single sin that he's missed. From Adam's sin in the garden, to David's sin with Bathsheba, to Peter's sin when he denied Christ at the trial, to the sin that was done to you in your childhood, to the sin that you do to others week after week. Every sin has been accounted for by God. Every single sin will receive the exact fair penalty that it deserves. Either we will eternally pay the wages for that sin in our bodies, or we will lay that sin in faith on the cross of Christ where our eternal king, our eternal king will pay it for us. You ask, why are, why are we emphasizing this? It is necessary that we see this. Paul is pulling us in. It is necessary that we see this because if this were not true, then God would not be worthy of your praise. Let me ask you a question. Think about this. If the gospel simply said, Put your trust in Jesus. There was a God-man. He came and He lived for us and then He went up to heaven. Put your trust in Him and God will forgive and forget all of your sins. Would that still be good news? And we hum and we haw because we, don't, we haven't thought about the righteousness of God. 
Would it be good news if the God of the universe, the God whose authority you are going to live under for all of eternity, were a God who could simply wink at sin and forget about it? Let's lean in closer. Is that gospel good news for the abuse survivor? How is she going to worship a God who could simply cover his eyes and pretend that all of the injustices that she suffered did never happen? Living forever with a God like that would be no different than living forever with the family that protected and made excuses for the people who hurt her. She needs to know that God is righteous. She needs to know that God didn't turn a blind eye to her suffering. She needs to know that in a world that is marred by corruption and tainted by injustice, there is a God who is impartial, who is going to judge the world with absolute perfect righteousness. And that's who our God is. And the cross proves it. That's the gospel that she needs. The same is true, by the way, and this is my maybe unanticipated for us. The same is true, by the way, if the abuser repents and turns to Christ. That's the gospel that he needs too. Imagine a heinous sinner, someone who has done horrible, awful, wicked things. And he hears the gospel. But imagine if the gospel that he hears makes no mention of a penalty against his sin. But now that his eyes are open, he sees that he has done horrible things. He sees that he has hurt people. He sees that he has planted seeds of ruin into the world that are going to pass on to generations. If God hasn't dealt with that, then he's going to feel like he's got to deal with that. He's going to live a life of self-loathing. He's going to wake up every day punishing himself for the things that he's done, because that's fair. By the way, you're not abusers, but... There are some of you today who are living that out in your life. Self-loathing and punishment because you see the things that you've done and you can't wrap your mind around how you could ever be rid of that. And the cross says you can be rid of that because Jesus Christ has paid for it. It is paid for exactly, righteously, perfectly, justly. It's gone. Now you need to deal with the earthly consequences. You need to turn yourself in. You need to deal with all of that. But when it comes to your standing with God, no more self-flagellation needed. You are forgiven in Christ. That is the gospel that is good news to those who have been hurt, to those who have hurt others. By the way, every one of us in this room is both, aren't we? Those who have been hurt, those who have hurt others. And the gospel is good news for us. And the cross is good news for us. And seven times Paul leans in with this word of justice and he says, if you don't see this, then you're not seeing it. I must see God's righteousness. Third, I must see, flowing out of that, I must see my justification. Because we've been reflecting on the fact that I am a sinner. We've been reflecting on the fact that God is righteous and that He must deal with sin. And so, boy, that poses a problem. But immediately after the indictment of verse 23... Paul goes on to say, says, for all have sinned, and that, that includes me and that includes you, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And Paul here says so much with so few words. He uses words that invite us into 
an image. First, he uses this word of justified. And it's a legal word. And it's like it pulls us into the courtroom. And we see a righteous judge. And we're standing before him. And when we stand before our holy and righteous judge, the most self-righteous person in this life will fall on their face with tears flowing from their eyes. Because all of the charades and all the pomp and all the things that we try to hide from the world, when that is exposed before our holy God, who is a consuming fire, all the charades will be done with. And he says, we stand in the courtroom, all have sinned, all of our sin exposed, things we didn't even identify as sin in our lives. Suddenly we see it because we see him in his glory. But he says, then something remarkable happens. Because all of the sin, all of the indictment that should send you to hell, it's gone. It's been removed. And you hear him declare that you are justified, which means you are innocent. Because all of the sin that should send you to hell has been paid for at the cross of Christ. He says, You're justified. He goes on, he says, you're redeemed. He uses this language of redemption, which again, in one word, would have drawn all of his original readers into this world of slavery, which was commonplace in the first century Roman world. If you had accumulated a debt that you could not pay off, you would very often sell yourself into slavery. And to get out of that slavery, you'd need to pay off this enormous debt that you could not pay off. And Paul says it's like that with our relationship with God. So there's this enormous debt and we are, we are enslaved to sin. We are enslaved to death. But Jesus came and in His body on the cross, He paid the debt and we have been redeemed from slavery. It's paid for. Jesus paid it all. Paul says, you, when you see the cross, you must see that. You must see that you are now justified. You're not guilty in God's eyes anymore. You must see that you're redeemed. You're not in slavery anymore. Jesus purchased you out of slavery with His precious blood. And He uses one more word, and we find this in verse 25, a word that again just evokes all of this imagery, but it's the most foreign word to us. He talks of Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Now that is a word that is foreign to us. Some of your Bibles translate it differently. Some of your Bibles might have the word atonement. Some of your Bibles might have the word mercy seat. All of those are correct and fair interpretations of this word. Uh, commentator Douglas Moon notes the Greek word that Paul uses here. He says it's in its only other use in the New Testament, which is Hebrews 9-5. to And in 21 of its 27 occurrences in the LXX, that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word... Hilasterion refers to what the NIV calls the atonement cover, what used to be called the mercy seat. What is that? It's the cover of the ark where the sacrificial blood was sprinkled as a means of propitiating God's wrath. And so that's why we have this variety of words because the translators are trying to capture the meaning. This is a word that describes the mercy seat. But what happened at the mercy seat? The blood was shed. The high priest came in and he made atonement for the people. He propitiated, he satisfied the wrath of God against our sin. And with this one word, every first century reader would, would go in his mind's eye 
to this place, the Holy of Holies, where the blood was shed and it was placed on the ark. And God's wrath against our sin was satisfied. That's what propitiation means. The satisfying of the wrath of God. See, our righteous God hates sin. He hates it. He's holy, he's spotless, he's unblemished, he's pure, he's loving, and he's good. Therefore, all sin, all of the selfishness, the pride, the destruction, the idolatry, all the things that ruin this world, that ruin God's creation, that defame his name, all of that sits under God's holy and righteous wrath. And that is good news, by the way, because sin is what's wrong with the world. Everything that's wrong with your life is the result of sin. If our God was a God who didn't hate that sin, again, he wouldn't be a God worth worshiping. But he is a God who is love, and in his love is a purifying holiness. He hates sin. But then how can sinners like us, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, how can we be made one with him? We need atonement. We need a way to draw near to God that deals honestly and rigorously and fairly with the sin that should keep us away from Him. And Paul says, that's the cross. It's it's the mercy seat. It's the atonement. It's the propitiation. It's the place in the Holy of Holies where the blood was shed so that unclean people could come into the presence of their holy God. That's the cross, Paul says. The place where you are justified. Not guilty anymore. The place where you are redeemed, purchased out of your slavery to sin and death. The place where you are propitiated, where God's wrath against your sin has been resolved finally and completely. When He looks at you now, in spite of all of your sin, because of Jesus, God smiles on you. God's God's Word says that He rejoices over us with singing. I know myself. I probably think about myself more than, well, I definitely think about myself more than anyone else in the world. I wouldn't rejoice over me with singing because I see it all. God sees it all. But because Jesus Christ has washed away my sin, God looks at me, He looks at you if you're in Christ, and He sees a beloved child of God, and He rejoices over you with singing. But again, if we just fly by Good Friday, if we don't see that in the cross, then that will never make sense with us, for us. And we will live as guilty self-condemned, self-loathing Christians. And it's not the life we were called to live. We must see that. And then finally, what else must we see? I must see the gift of grace as I look to the cross. That's where Paul lands. Because it's not enough to see that I'm a sinner and that God is righteous. If that's all I saw, that'd be a recipe for despair. And it's, it's not even enough for me to see that at the cross, atonement has been made possible and and righteousness and redemption has been made possible. I see all of that, I'm encouraged, but I still need to see something else, don't I? I need to see how I can lay claim to that. How can I grab hold of this? I don't want to be on the outside looking in. I want what Christ has accomplished to be applied to my life. And Paul says in verses 23-24, to he says, For all of sin fall short of the glory of God and are justified. How? By His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Paul's been using all of these loaded words that draw us into this imagery. Can I just point out one last loaded word that Paul uses? Perhaps the most glorious loaded word here? A gift. 
And with one word, suddenly we see what we're meant to see. A gift. Not a wage. You can't earn this. There's nothing that you ever did to deserve this. There's nothing that you can do today. There's nothing that you will do in the future to deserve what Christ has done for you on the cross. It's just a gift. We didn't earn our place into the family of God. Can you Make sure you remember that today. Make sure you remember that next time you want to look down your nose at somebody in the world living in their sin. That would be you apart from the grace of God. You didn't earn your way in. You didn't battle your way onto the team. Again, in chapter 5, he says, but God shows His love for us in this. In what? That while we were still sinners, while we were right in the thick of it, loving the things that God hates, dishonoring Him, hurting others, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still undeserving, while we were still the problem, before we even knew enough to ask, God gave us this gift of grace. And maybe you ask, okay, well now there's this gift, but how do I lay hold of this gift? So I'm seeing the gift, I want to unwrap the gift, but how? Who is this for? Who receives this grace, this justification? Paul says in verse 26, so that he might be just and the justifier of who? Of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. I said off the top that that expression, knowledge is powers, is silly. Because knowledge is nothing in and of itself. It's the object of our knowledge that is power. Well, I want you to hear today that faith in and of itself is, is nothing. You can put faith in some foolish things. You can put faith in your favorite sports team. You can put faith in your finances. People put faith in stuff that fails them all the time. Faith in your marriage. Faith in someone who you think will never let you down. All that faith will let you down. All that faith won't save you. But there is a faith that will. And it's faith that is placed in Jesus Christ. And Paul says that justification, that grace, that mercy, all of those things that you want, here's how you receive the gift. You place your faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. And you say, well, what does that look like? Well, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this so beautifully. I want to read this to you. The man who has faith is the man who is no longer looking at himself. And no longer looking to himself. He no longer looks at anything he once was. He doesn't look at who he is now. He does not look at who he hopes to be. He looks entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work, and He rests on that alone. Do you understand what He's saying? Faith in Jesus Christ means you stop looking at your worth and your merit in terms of your standing with God. You don't roll out of bed anymore in the morning and say, is God pleased with me today? I don't know. My morning devotions weren't good enough. Is God pleased with me today? I don't know. I'm still a bad husband. I feel like, oh, I'm still a grumpy father. Is God pleased with me? I don't know. I still find myself gossiping with my girlfriends. Faith means you stop looking at you for your standing with God. And you look to Jesus. And after a morning of bad devotions and and stubbing your toe and saying a word that you wish you didn't say and losing your temper with your family and going to work 
and, and showing up late and, and living a day that is really impressive, you still look to God and say, you love me because of Him. And when you wake up and you have an awesome day and great devotions and you share the gospel and you're the best mom and you're the best wife and everything's perfect, you look up to the Father and you still say, you love me because of Him. And when you fall back into that sin that you keep falling back into and you feel so filthy and dirty and you're ashamed and you know that even your closest friends, if they knew this, would hate you, would really think less of you, you look to God and you look to the cross and you say, you love me because of Him. You love me because of Christ. My faith is in His life, not mine. My faith is in what He paid, not what I pay. That's the gift that I've received. And I can't earn it. I can never earn it. Christian, if I could leave you with this one thing for Good Friday, unbeliever who's listening in, if I could leave you with this one thing on for Good Friday, you can't earn it. And if you keep telling yourself that you can, your life will be misery. But if you look to the cross of Christ, and you see your sin, and you see His righteousness. And you see that justice has been poured out. And you see the gift. Everything changes. There are Christians who walk with the Lord for 20 years before they see this. Don't be that Christian. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper right now. And every time that we come back to the table, what should be happening is we should be seeing this. And we always read this warning from God's Word so that we approach the table rightly. Paul writes, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So don't eat and drink today without discerning the body. Without looking to Christ and seeing what you are meant to see. Look at the cross. What do you see? Do you see your sin? That you are still a sinner who needs a Savior. That you, that you haven't arrived and that you never will. Do you see your righteous God? Let me be really practical. Do you see that He has punished your sin in Christ on the cross? And so you don't need to be punishing yourself anymore. Do you see that God is perfectly just and righteous and that no sin goes unnoticed and therefore you can actually forgive and stop harboring hatred in your heart for the people who've sinned against you? Do you see your justification? That even though all of the evidence would suggest otherwise, you're innocent in God's eyes. Because this is the evidence that he's looking at. 
Do you see that you're redeemed? That you've been bought out of slavery to sin? Slavery to death? By the precious blood of the God-man, Jesus Christ? Do you see atonement, propitiation, that God is not angry at you if you are in Christ? That when you roll out of bed each day and you feel like God's looking down at you going, oh, here he goes again. This, this ungrateful, miserable wretch. Here he goes again. He's going to have another bad day. Here she goes again. She's going to ruin it again. Do, do you see that God's wrath is not on you? That he looks at you and he is pleased with you because he sees his perfect and righteous child. Do you see the greatest gift in the history of the world? If you don't see that, then let it pass you by today. But if by the grace of God you see that, or perhaps if by the grace of God you acknowledge that that is what you should see and you're asking God to help you in your unbelief, lay hold of the gift today in faith. Consider Confess your sin. Put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ. Come to the table and with gratitude and wonder, behold the cross of Christ. I'm going to pray, and perhaps there's somebody here who's never, who has never seen this, and I'm going to pray a prayer that you can just pray along with in your heart and speak this to the Lord. You can be right with God today. Let's, let's come to Him. God, You are holy. You are perfect. And even though the, the sinful part of me rebels against that and is, and, and is frustrated with that and is an antagonism with that, you've opened my eyes to see that that is amazing news because I need a holy God. I need a righteous God. I need a fair God. There, there's no one else I would rather have leading my life. But God, while I see that... <laughs> I see that I am not righteous. I see that I hurt people. I see that I don't put you first in my life. I see that I actually, I've wasted my time with things that don't matter at all. That I've given my affection to things that don't matter at all. And that in doing so, my perfect, holy, awesome God who purchased me with the blood of His Son has been dishonored in my life. But God, I see that Jesus died on the cross to save imperfect, sinful people like me. I believe that He died for me. He for me. That His body was broken for me. That he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me for me? And that he did it for you. That you would be seen as righteous. That the only reason why it's possible that sinful people like me could be saved is because the cross has declared your righteousness and your holiness and your love. And it's kisses at the cross. And Lord, I don't believe perfectly. 
help my unbelief. I don't feel this perfectly. But Lord, I'm placing all of my faith in Jesus Christ. Not in myself, not in my effort. Jesus. God, help us as we come to the table today. Lord, I pray that you would fill the tank of the weary Christians today. Lord, you know that we're weak. You know that we forget. You know that we hide. And you call us back to this table time and time again that we would remember, that we would be refreshed, that we would live. So Lord, we come out of hiding today. We step into the light of your joy upon us. I pray that we would hear you singing over us because of Christ. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Worship team, I want to invite you to lead us. And uh, elders, we're going to distribute the elements.